If you're an Android user and you need an app to listen to your podcasts on, you should check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. You don't have to take my word for it, though. There are thousands of five-star reviews out there for it. Can't all be bots at 5,000, right? Hopefully. <laughs> take a peek. Uh, it, no, uh, it, all joking aside, it's a great app. It's smooth and easy. You favorite your favorite shows. They download right to your phone. It's just that simple. So check that out if you need an Android podcast player. Also want to take a second to remind you folks to check out patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s where you can join and get some special perks for the privilege. We've got a bunch of bonus episodes up there. We got one coming up in December that, um, well, how should I say it without saying it? It's a really good holiday feature, I think. We're doing we're doing something really fun in December. So you'll want to make sure you get that. Patreon.com slash dissecting the 80s. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is my tag team partner, who, like me, has something in common with Madison and Splash. Pretty much everything he knows, he learned from a television. The Macho Mandrew. Andrew Lano. Didn't know where that one was going, but I liked it. <laughs> I was, I was uh, trying to keep you on your toes a little bit there. We finally, finally, finally got into it with our old second oldest nemesis ron howard your mom's book club's favorite director uh this is an early directorial effort for him i'm gonna check and see where it falls specifically but uh, i think so i think until this point he had been mostly acting right that's what the little that's what the little girl said Right. I don't know if this is his first, but he definitely hadn't directed much at this point. I'm checking that as I'm talking. But um, more importantly, this movie turns 35 this year. And so we always celebrate T. Hanks giving with Tom Hanks, of course. And so we dove in, as it were, to Splash. So you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your mermaid. Something's gotta be done about your mermaid. When the mega powers explode... I'm talking about the 8880s. Great Scott. Cream of the crop. Oh, 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 yeah. Mega power, yeah! When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Now, I meant to ask mom, like, like, contact her and be like, hey, you said I loved this movie growing up. Do you remember, like, why? But I did not. But I just know she always said that I liked this movie a lot as a kid. You did watch this a lot. I do have memory of that. Um, just- I do not have. And that's the weird thing. Like, I, I know I loved this movie because I was told I loved this movie. I don't really have any strong memories about it, which is I weird. Um, so he had done a few movies at this point. He did um, Grand Theft Auto in 77 was his first, which I vaguely feel like was a Roger Corman production. Um, uh, how much yep, that sex was worker beating was in that movie? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think much, but that was a, a Roger Corman thing, which is where a lot of people got their start, like learning how to make movies. Um, he had done a few TV Joe movies. Dante. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, also, um, James Cameron. Stay tuned for Little Shop of Horrors, Roger Corman adjacent. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. So he had done a bunch of TV movies. He did Night Shift in 82. And then this was the, I think, one of the probably... Uh, Breakaway success. Yeah, certainly the biggest success of his career. I would say the biggest swing he, up until this point, the biggest swing he got to take uh, as a director. Uh, certainly he would grow and grow and grow. But this this is the biggest one for sure. The first big shot I feel like he gets. Uh, and it also starts a relationship with the writer of this movie, Um Brian Grazer? Yeah. Well, Brian Grazer is his producing partner, but the the gentleman – there are two – several writers on Splash. One of them was Bob Lou Mandel, who I believe just passed away. Uh, but the other guy, Lowell Gans, who has a cameo as the guy at the Statue of Liberty, also wrote Parenthood, which he directed. And Lowell also wrote um, – like a bunch of stuff that we've talked about either on the show or, or just talked about in general, including like fever pitch and, uh, multiplicity city slickers, a league of their own, uh, a lot huh. of stuff. Yeah. Vibes. Most importantly Love for league this show own. vibes spies like us. Anyway. So there's, there's your little bit of history. So they, they would work together later on parenthood and I believe perhaps one more in there, but, um, yeah, so he he you know forged a friendship there, as it were, and then obviously Ron Howard is like the most successful director working today. Frankly, he's the guy they call in to fix other. I would say problems. he and Spielberg are probably up there. Yeah, I, sorry, I, most successful director working today is, is too much of a accolades, but he is a monetarily. Guy, yeah, I don't even know if that's true, given all the like the Marvel hullabaloo. But certainly, Ron Howard is a guy who makes big movies uh, and only makes big movies these days. You know, his, the stuff he makes is is big budgeted. If you want the biggest bowl of vanilla ice cream, yep, you call Ron Howard. Which is crazy because this movie has some interesting directorial choices in it, and I like it does. It's not like mind blowing, right? Like it's not setting the world on fire and changing the world of directing, but like there's interesting things happening in this movie, and I kept being like, "Where did this go? Like how how many movies did it take?" Come before back, this- Ron. <laughs> Well, another podcast I like like listening to is um, Blank Check with Griffin and David, and they they are about they do filmographies. So they follow one director for either a portion or the entirety of their career, and they just had a guest on who was talking about late period Tim Burton, and they were saying that like literally no director ever has had their best movies come at the end of their career, like nobody, and so it's always this That's thing. About, I never thought about that, but yeah. So you can go all the way back to the studio system, like Howard Hawks and, and like back back there, it, like the, the creative output was always most interesting in the beginning and then Peter's out. And so it's like the Tarantino thing where he keeps saying he's going to stop after 10 is interesting to me because it's like he hasn't really I didn't I didn't see one spot in time in Hollywood, but it's not like he's fallen off a cliff. So as much as, as people can, and it'd be interesting to see if he manages to like just stop the bleeding and be like, that's it. Cause like even Spielberg doesn't make very interesting. He makes wallpaper movies now. Yeah. He, he made that. Like, I forget that Steven Spielberg did, um, what that video game movie that everyone's aunt Ready bought them Player for Christmas. One. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, every that, nerd that, got it for say, Christmas from his aunt. As I, like Christmas. <laughs> Look at it, it's a book about video games. I will say that that movie's not good, but there are like interesting Spielbergian touches in there that would have been in there whether he was the director or not. And so it's interesting to me to see a director like go play his greatest hits because that Did movie that movie is, make a lot of money. Was that like a big? It made money. I don't think it was like a huge runaway success, well, but it definitely only because like that movie. That, I wish that movie made more money, even though I just made fun of it, only because maybe studios would, would have been like, the takeaway would have been like, oh, people will pay lots of money to see all their favorite characters in a movie and not in a weird, like, Marvel mashup kind of way. Yeah. Because it was like, 
the Iron Giant was there, Ghostbusters, Jaws, The Shining, like you name it, and it showed up in that movie. I think it was mostly like Spielberg and his friends plus the stuff the studio owned. Yeah, but still, that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, certainly if Spielberg doesn't make that movie, it doesn't have as many touches. But like there's an extended sequence in that movie where it's just he is doing a shot for shot remake of The Shining. Yeah, I, yeah. But like there is there is so many parts of that movie that are like if someone else directed this, this would look identical because it's a Spielberg moment. And so like it's I've not seen too often a director like playing his greatest hits the way artists do musically. And so that was kind of it was kind of fascinating to me as an object, but but not a great movie. It made almost 600 million worldwide, which is nothing now. Like that's nobody would even that won't even garner you like the the inkling of a sequel. But, uh, you know, at the time this movie was made, (laughs) Splash, that would have been, you know, unbelievable. So anyway, we should talk about Splash. We're we're, we're getting close to 10 minutes on tangent. And it's a shame because I enjoyed the movie. I yeah, I'm not, yeah I just, I mean, I didn't think that was a worthless discussion. It's just not about Splash. Uh, well, no, but I always like to preface because usually when we like at the beginning talk about anything but the movie, it's because we hated the movie and yeah, I would think rather discuss other things. I think there's a lot to talk about with Splash, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, we start with just an interminable credit sequence. It I was, was so mad. Ron Howard and Brian Grazer's names are in it two times and it's just just a shot of water like lightly moving it's so bad i was like use use this to establish because as soon as it's done we go right to like a sepia tone 60s boat right. in cape cod and i was like this could have been over top of this like show me the beach right show me some like the water like jawsy or even just like the family boarding the boat and like buying their tickets and walking onto this ferry is fine like it doesn't need to be world changing but just just a static shot of water for two full minutes was like torture i know we talk it's about like this all the, the time beginning of um uh uh dirty rotten scoundrels how it was just a shot of that that like uh, archway in the Riviera. Right, right. And we talk about this all the time, how like modern audiences, like there's no pre pre there's no credits before the movie starts anymore because people don't have the patience. And I always kind of scoff at that, but this, I was literally like diving for the fast forward button. Yeah. Cause I, I, I I'm fine with a couple, like a little bit as of a over, like over top of establishing shots, because I think it's not bad to, you know, say, Oh, you're going to see, Charlize Theron or whoever the hell you can create a lot of a lot of world with those shots too if you're good like baby drivers opening credits right uh anyway we get this sepia I actually kind of like the sepia here because uh it reminded me of like you know old photographs in a way that like black and white wouldn't have yeah I thought it was effective but then I started thinking about the fact that like it was 1960 and we had both color film and color video at that point and I was just like huh but I guess it was like you know the memory and whatnot yeah, and uh, there's a, a gross little shit dropping change to look up girls' skirts. Yeah, uh, and a mediocre band playing, uh, is it Wooly Bully? What are they playing? One of Wooly Bully. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was like, very quickly, the kid is like a little bit pudgy, and I was like, oh, that's John Candy, obviously. And then we have the kid. I didn't even think about that connection, because I couldn't uh, remember who he played. I knew he was in the movie, but I didn't know if he was the brother or what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I have some alternate casting switcheroos that I think you're going to enjoy, because- okay. I was only inspired because Roger Ebert in his review was like, why would you cast no, like this nobody Tom Hanks in the lead? John Candy <laughs> should have been the romantic lead. Oh, all right, Roger. Sticking up for yeah. the fat guys. 
Yeah, they were like, oh, th- then you have a lovable buffoon who's like, oh, a mermaid fell in my lap. Yeah, yeah. Very different movie, yes. but not mad about the casting. Yeah. I think it works, but we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, and then, so this is the first of little things that I wish we had a, f- a little more mermaid in this mermaid movie. Sure, yeah. Because the the brother of the change-dropping kid is just l- alone looking out over the railing into the water and apropos of nothing, he just climbs the railing and jumps in. Right. Eight, I needed no, a tail it, splash. I needed something. Like, even, like, f- like make it look like you see a mermaid, like, a tail swimming. Under, like, show me a thing that makes him want to jump into the water. Like, why didn't she pop up and wave? Yeah. Or if he heard singing, like, siren like, sure. something. Yeah, there are but literally But it just endless... seemed weird. Also, can we pause for one second and talk about the fact that this movie was nominated for Best Screenplay? Yeah. Like, 1984 was not the greatest year in Oscars history. Like, Amadeus won a billion awards, and that movie is, like, really tedious. Um, And, like, Jeff Bridges got nominated for Best Actor for playing Starman in Starman, which is, like, a genuinely bad movie that we will certainly get to one day on this podcast. Um, Maybe it's better than I remember, but I remember being bored to tears watching that in the last few years. Um, I think I watched it as, like, a maybe this is an episode, and then I was just like, eh. But anyway... Ghostbusters came out this year. That is a very well-written movie. It has really sound logic. I know it's like a stupid sci-fi comedy with ghosts and nonsense in it, but it is... That's why. (laughs) That's why no one gave a shit. But it's a better... Like, the logic of that movie is mostly pretty sound. I think it probably deserved a screenplay nomination over Splash, which is, like, not a very interesting screenplay. I would agree. I think, think in practice, it's... it's better than it would have read on paper. Yeah. And I, I'm just, obviously I didn't read the screenplay for either of those movies. I'm just saying from like having watched the movie, the document that went into creating it splash can't have been that interesting. Yeah. But the guy who I think it was Brian Grazer who was like shopping the movie around for like seven years, trying to get someone to listen, kept getting rejected. And then I read somewhere that apparently he was pitching it as like a mermaid gains legs and has to figure out life in new york and studios were like ugh ugh no and then he was like a man falls in love with a mermaid in new york city and they were like there's a man in it now yes well this movie uh, most of what we cover does not pass the bechdel test this movie only has two women in it i'm pretty sure there's the crazy secretary and there's daryl hannah and that is pretty much it for women with speaking parts yes there's like Two or three other women that get one line. Yeah. Two lines. It's very George Lucas. It's ridiculous how many men are in this movie and how few women there are. Because honestly, I love the idea of a mermaid perspective movie like this. Uh, so, Which is just The Little Mermaid. In all honesty, The Little Mermaid is just this movie from the other side. Yeah, but also like, uh, spoiler, 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 like the end credits of this movie shows you Mermaid City and like... That is so much more interesting than this movie. Like, why the does Little it, Mermaid? Why doesn't this movie start with them jumping in the water and then it's like Tom Hanks learns to be a mermaid? Like, that's an interesting movie. I agree, and that's not the plot of Splash Two. There's like a mermaid, like swim coach, who's trying to teach him to like swim like a mermaid, even though he has legs. Also, literally any explanation of why him being with Daryl Hannah? Yeah. she kisses him and then he can breathe underwater so i forgot like i said i hadn't seen this movie in a long time so i forgot there was no like spell involved right 
like outright, but she says there's a timeline that like she only has a week on land, even though. So, but like, I was like, so why is this timeline in place? And what does it mean? Because at the end, spoiler, 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 she's like, if you join me, you can never come on land again. And I was like, but you came on land. Right. So and, why? And also, I was really annoyed that there was no, like, ticking clock element. Because it sets up as, like, a, I have only this time on land. And at the end of the movie, there's, like, sort of a race happening. And it's like, if she had said, I have until sundown on X day, then they could have been like sprinting for the water as the sun was going down. And it's like a much more interesting movie and bonus. It would have looked dope as hell when they were having this big romantic moment on the docks at sunset. Like it would have been that scene in the little mermaid when it's Eric's <laughs> wedding. Well, little mermaid was not made for five more years. So it's not like they were stealing that idea. Uh, well, a hundred percent. This was the reference footage they used for Little Mermaid. Oh, for sure. But I'm just saying, it's just like so goofy. It's like very much Prince Eric is like Tom Hanks with better hair. Well, so uh, let me let me let me brush off my soapbox and step up for a moment. People always give Ariel shit. They they say that like she only she like gave up her fin for a man. But the movie clearly establishes that she was obsessed with the human world before she even knew Eric Absolutely. was a person. Yep. It's to me, I think I'm like, oh, she just learned. It's basically she was obsessed with a thing that no one cared about. She learned college was a thing and she could go learn about that and study with people who love that thing. And she took that choice. I mean, whereas this movie is just like, I'm I have no backstory, but I love you and I'm on land. You are painting with a little broad brush vis-a-vis Ariel, but OK. Yeah, but I just mean you. like yeah. there's it's people i've i like to remind people that she was obsessed with the human world before she even knew eric was a thing there, so it's not everything there you know is I mean? literally a song in that movie in which a sea witch tells a mermaid that men don't like a lot of chatter well <laughs> did she saying. lie did yes! the drag queen yes! inspired vaguely ethnic yes. sea witch lie i think so i think i appreciate conversations with women who are both romantic partners and not <laughs> did the queer coded villain in a disney movie lie <laughs> look all right anyway uh my least favorite part of this movie is the fact that the credit uh, chiron on screen when we see new york city says new york city this morning because it ruins the whole ticking clock element that they should have established with her having seven days on land it should have been monday and she has until sunday like why am I coming up with this and the team of writers you had on this movie couldn't? Well, because they don't explain any of that. Like, there was no, there was no anything of why now. Like, right. honestly, if they had, if the movie started with like, you know what? Here we go. Here we go. I got it. The sepia tone thing is 20 years ago, there was an eclipse, whatever. Yeah. The eclipse is happening again. You're and it's just only doing during... Little Shop of Horrors, BT dubs. No, what, what was the thing we just talked about with an eclipse? We talked about... In a month ago, a couple months ago, on this show, yeah, with the eclipse, it was a werewolf the, thing, wasn't it? No, it was the zombie one, the zombie one okay. with the badass ladies. Like there should have been like, oh, the eclipse happens, and that's only during the eclipse, da da da, or whatever. Like time it to a thing that ties no, it, was it all Haley's together. Comet, wasn't it? You're right, it was a comet, but like there should have been some kind of event that like everyone's aware of, and so there's a bit of a distraction and like. Now this means this can happen, but only while this. Actually, Comet would have been better because then, like, only while the Comet is... Sure, returns 30 whatever. years later kind of thing. Absolutely. The tail. As long as we're in the tail, I can be on land and yeah, the tail yeah, goes yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, 
Yep, they should have just stolen that from that other movie. Absolutely. Maximum Overdrive. Also, Night of the Comet. <laughs> I know, but we're if we're going to reference the fact that we're in other movies, it's other movies. Um, so anyway, all those things are true, what you're saying, but we should talk about the movie that this is. So uh, the John Candy and Tom Hanks, who look about as much like brothers as we do, are fruit sellers. Second generation I, fruit sellers. I wish that their outfits were more iconic looking and we could do that for a thing. <laughs> um, but it's just two dudes in suits. That's not fun. Right, right. And uh, Ron Howard's dad, Vance, is screaming about his cherry delivery. Oh, that's Mr. Howard? That is Mr. That's Mr. Bryce's Howard. grandfather? That is Grandpa Howard, yes. Um, and he is screaming about cherries and Tom Hanks is like, what the hell is going on with the cherries? He finds them. They're all slimy. And he's like, all right. What the hell? Turns out John Candy is basically a fail son, that he is like the big goofus who keeps screwing up the business and Tom Hanks has to keep putting it back together. He- I'm surprised he didn't become a bit of a villain. Like the big, the first 10 minutes sort of leads you to believe it's going to be yep. it- B villain, C villain. John- like he's not. John Candy, like, halfway through this movie, turns and becomes the, like, cheerleader brother, and it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that. Um, Also, there is, like, very clearly a subplot where John Candy gets in debt to the mob, and they just don't bring it up ever again. I... Thank you, because I was like, like, oh, this is a mob guy. Yeah. Like, this is a mob dude, right? <laughs> and, he just and, happens to own a cherry farm? Yeah, the guy who shows up later, who's like the owner of a alleged cherry... Well, first of all, the cherry guy seems like he's in the mob, but then... Like later, he brokers a deal with a guy who's like the head of a chain of grocery stores, and that guy shows up to the thing, and it's just a bunch of mob guys. Like he's got a bunch of leg breakers, and he's talking to Tom Hanks about being in Vietnam and whatnot. And it's like, okay, so now they're in debt to the mafia. Like <laughs> that. Well, and uh, and John Candy is like, you know, say like really like oh, all about like money. He's like, oh, these like you don't have to actually take out the the rotten food. You can just leave it in there. No right. one's gonna care. Right. I was like, oh, it's gonna be a whole thing. But it was one of a couple things. It was just like, here's some pretty window dressing that doesn't matter. Right. We're never gonna bring this back. Like at one point, he's throwing rejected onions back in and being like, don't reject these. What's wrong with these? Perfectly fine onions. And then it's like, oh, uh, later uh, he's gonna just give Tom Hanks a pep talk and wave himself out of the movie. Mm-hmm. So uh, he arrives, though, in his Corvette, and he's very excited that they printed his letter in Penthouse. Uh, and this is a reminder that this is a this is the first film released by Touchstone, yes. which is Disney's plausible deniability company. <laughs> the first of many. Because if a movie doesn't do well, Disney's like, I don't I've I've never seen that before in my life. And then when Nightmare Before Christmas and Roger Rabbit happens, they're like, that's my baby. Yeah, exactly. that's mine. <laughs> um. So Tom a lesbian Hanks, no more is his article. Is his letter in Penthouse? A lesbian no more. Yeah, that's right. Tom Hanks like sm- deals with his brother coming in with a stack of penthouses and then smooths over the situation with the cherries with Grandpa Howard. We get we get a lot of Howards in this movie. Clint shows up for a hot second. I didn't notice him until I read what? it on IMDb and had to go back. Uh, also, the the mom is in this. Well, so I thought Clint Howard. I forgot. I didn't. I forgot that this was early in Ron Howard's directing, so he couldn't be like, "You're putting my fucking brother as a, <laughs> a, a major character in this movie." This movie is like bizarre cameo city, but we'll get to that. Because I was like, "Oh, he should have been one of those, one of the like bumbling, you know, assistants to Eugene Levy." And then I was like, "No, he should have been Eugene Levy's character." Like, right? 
if this movie was made 10 years later, Clint Howard would have either been Eugene Levy or John Candy's role. Yeah, probably. To the detriment of the movie. And I like Clint Howard. Like, I think, yeah. I think ideally in this movie, you slot Clint Howard in as like one of the MPs. The, yeah. The, like, late, like, it's like a, he's got enough to sink I'll, his teeth I thought into. The, the, the fumbling, the bumbling, like, guys on the beach, remember, who were like carrying shit. Those wrong. would have been perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, they would have been good. Or, or the, or the, Clint like, Howard and Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah. <laughs> Throw him in there. It's like enough for him to sink his teeth into, but like, not a whole movie because, like, we understand the limitations. Yeah. Um, well, I will say again, Ice Cream Man. He does a great job holding his own there. Yeah, yeah. Carries it's unfortunately movie. a 90s movie because that, I think, would be like our magnum opus. Oh, my God. What we really needed was a Clint Howard, Randy Quaid, Buddy Road movie to have been made in 1989. That would have been like the ideal first. And Swayze Where plays going? the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> or or Kurt Russell. I'll take either as the bad guy. No. Kurt, Rus- Kurt Russell is the cop following them yes patrick swayze is the bad guy and they can't tell them apart yes i love it that's exactly what i want and they accidentally stole money from the mob like it was like a suitcase mix up one was coming yeah but it was they were picking up one at the bus station or something grabbed the wrong suitcase and now the mafia is at the tail and the police think that they're like masterminds and criminal masterminds yes here for it that is the movie that i want it can never get made. <laughs> no, if someone has access to a time machine and a lot or, of money, I guess no. We, no, here's with the whole James Dean thing. We can just CGI <laughs> John Candy into whatever the fuck we want. Yes, we're gonna CGI uh, Clint Howard and uh, Randy Quaid into a. Well, Clint movie. Howard's still alive, <laughs> but he needs to be thirty years younger. Okay, fair. Um, but did you catch that the secretary got hit in the head by lightning? Yes. Just like great outdoors. Yes, yes. There's a bunch of weird little stuff in this movie. I miss John Candy. Oh, yeah. We just we just don't have one, and it sucks. This is, the, I mean, Kevin James desperately wants to be this guy, and it's just not. <laughs> desperately. You get the fuck back to Queens <laughs> on your Segway, you mall cop mother effer. Well, the problem is they slotted him to be replacement Chris Farley. Like, Adam Sandler's like, my best friend died. He was fat. I need a new fat friend. Oh, you're fat. Well, you'd like to be my best friend. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, I, I definitely, not that I have anything against Chris Farley, but I I definitely find John Candy's the more elevated fat guy humor yeah, I than mean, Chris Farley. Yes, but John Candy also got to like be older and like mature into this stuff a little. A little, yeah. Um, this is also one of the crazy things. Like we talk about how John Candy has no age. This movie came out a year before Summer Rental and... Uh, the, gosh, the other one we did for Teen Thanksgiving uh, with the Oh, the, the Vietnam one? Yeah. Uh, God damn it. What's that movie called? Uh, the It's like a military word, yeah. isn't it? Like, I keep wanting to say Stripes, which is obviously- I want to say Platoon, so we're both wrong. Yeah. Like- Volunteers. It's not military-related. It's sort of yes, in the ballpark. Um, but so, so here he's like in his 30s. Like for real, and also playing someone in his thirties who's like a successful businessman. Then, a, then a year later, he's like a dad with multiple kids, which like age wise lines up. And then also that year, he's a twenty year old. It's like he froze at nineteen eighty, and then at nineteen eighty nine time, like the universe was like, oh wait, we forgot to age that guy. Yeah, like whoop. Uh, but I will say this is kind of a weird turn for him because he's like normally lovable, whatever. This guy's kind of a I was gonna say. Ball. It it made me feel uncomfortable because I lo- like I was like John Candy. 
I trust you. And we always talked about how, like, he would have, like, I know he did some serious acting later in life. I know he was in JFK, but, like, he would have been a real psycho at some point. Like, somebody would have given him a real juicy villain role and he would have killed it. And this is, like, glimpses of that, but Although, it's slimy. I will say they tried that with Robin Williams and it did not go well. I thought he was super creepy in one hour photo. Well, I just mean, like, that movie didn't really. Yeah, but I thought he was creepy as hell in it. Like, I, I, the movie's not great, but like, I guess that's what I mean. Like, he was good, but the mo- I think I was out hoping the movie overall would be. But, but Ron and the other one with John Candy, we always talked about is like he would have gotten to do so much great drama stuff, just like Robin Williams did with like you know the the various uh, Goodwill Hunting type roles he got to do later. Anyway, he's kind of a sleazeball. Um, I thought. Eugene, I would have rather seen Eugene Levy as the brother and John Candy as the scientist. Sure. And they also look like brothers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I <laughs> like think that fit like better. Uh, I also assumed Eugene Levy is in this because he and John Candy were both on SCTV. Yeah. So actually, John Candy wanted to be the scientist. Oh, okay. I read this after I came up with my, my switch casting. Yeah. And Ron Howard was like, no, you're going to play the brother. And then he was like, fine, then cast Eugene Levy. Who's okay here i like him i think this is not his best work yeah i just don't yeah i i think he's the only one because ev- most everyone in this movie is giving 110 percent. yeah and i think he's given like 95 but i also think he doesn't know what movie he's in mm-hmm. i can i can agree with that like he's he, also given the gravitas he thinks he's in ghostbusters and this movie is not ghostbusters he thinks he's rick moranis in ghostbusters exactly like he, he which rick moranis <laughs> would have been so good as also the as scientist also a little shop of ours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, Tom Hanks gets dumped by his girlfriend. Cause she's like, do you love me? And he's like, I don't know. What's that? And she's like, you're obviously not in love with me. Goodbye. Um, which leads to him ushering at a wedding for one of his employees, which like nice little bit of writing there that shows like he's a good boss. One of his employees who's not a Dwight Schrute is like, oh yeah, let me make sure you're an usher at my wedding. Um, and so he has a nice moment here where he snaps because people keep being like, oh, where's your girlfriend? Where's your girlfriend? And he's finally like, she dumped me. And the person he snaps at is Clint Howard. Is Clint Howard. She dumped me. Sit anywhere but the first three rows. Uh, and then we get to. He's acting his fa- Like uh, Tom Hanks. This is one of my favorite Tom Hanks performances, I think. It's just very consistent and likable. Well, much like. Uh, Ron Howard, like this, uh, more than Ron Howard, even like this was his big shot. Like he had done TV, he had done Bosom Buddies at this point, but that had ended. So this is like two years after that. He had done Mazes and Monsters, which is like a joke. Uh, he was on yeah. a couple episodes of Family Ties. He was, did some TV here and there, but like he really didn't. This was like a huge breakout for him. He became he a star. This. Yeah. You know, this leads into a bunch of things that like are. You know, all t- eventually, you know, get to big in 88, which I think is his probably big, big, big breakout. But this is like when with it's big. Yeah. With the movie Big. Yes. Yes. OK. I, thought, I was going to make sure that I, w- I was like, is that that's the joke, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. The the big, big, big breakout is big. But this that's when he becomes like transcendent. But this is like the start of the star rising. Uh, you know, the first film. League of Their Own is 80s, right? Or no, no it's early 90s. OK. That's it's that weird gray area. Yeah. And a period piece, so you can't date yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, um, I I threw it out on Twitter a while back, just out of idle curiosity about like if we opened Listener Request Month, if people would want to break the format. And most people were like, "No," but it would be cool to let you go to like 1992 and 1978, which I thought was interesting. 
Yeah, I like, yeah, the... Of, like, the gray area where it's like, you know, because we've talked about that a lot on the show. So it was interesting. How, well, I, like, The Shining doesn't feel like an 80s movie because it's no, 1980. yeah. Um, so anyway... Tom uh, Hanks is lying on the bar, yes. face in a bowl of pretzels, acting his face off. Yes. And John Candy has this great bit, who, by the way, earlier we saw still doing the drop the change and look up skirts bit, and... Like, gross when it was a kid, also way grosser as a full-grown adult, but also, like, a pretty specific weird thing to be into. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> like, I think most people's underwear on a day-to-day basis is not that interesting, unless you're a yeah. creepo. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, anyway, he gives this great spiel here where he's like, you're too skinny to drink. That's the problem. Look at me. I can put down whiskey all day. And he's like knocking back drinks. He's like, I got mass. You got to cultivate. He's basically like Mac and Old Sunny being like, you got to cultivate mass. <laughs> um, And then John Candy's like, hey, I found these two pretty ladies and they have a timeshare in Rio. Let's go. And I was like, it's like guys and dolls when they're like, let's go to Havana for dinner tonight. Yeah. And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. I was like, wait, Rio is like really far from New York, isn't it? I had to check because I was like, wait a minute, am I, Rio's Brazil, right? Yeah. Rio is Brazil. Yeah. And I had to Google it. Uh, and I was like, is there a different, is there like a Rio, New Jersey or something? But equally ridiculous is Tom Hanks hopping in a cab out front and being like, take me to Cape Cod. And the cabbie's like, that's like a several hundred dollars. Uh, the internet says it was, it would be $700 in 2018 money. So use Round that as a ballpark. No, I thought it was one way. Oh, I thought it was like 300-ish each way. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think it was 300 in 1980s money to get there. Oh, okay. That's what I meant. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so uh, he flashes some cash at the cabbie and then the cabbie takes off. This cabbie must be really important to Ron Howard, though, because he comes. He's plays pivotal roles in this movie later. Um, yeah, I was like, is this, a, is this a reference or something? And it's like a very like stereotypical movie New York cab driver who's just like a total prick. He's uh, Dan Aykroyd's cameo in 2017 Ghostbusters. 16, yeah, 16. Thank you. Um, But anyway, we meet Eugene Levy on the beach with Tom Hanks, and Eugene Levy thinks he's like a spy who's here to like find out what he's working on, which later is even sillier given how little respect Eugene Levy has in the scientific community. Yeah, and like, so I kind of, there's a Disney Channel original movie called The 13th Year, about a boy who is a mermaid. Okay. Um, and there's a kid who looks like Squints. Probably now Sandlot. streaming on Disney Plus. Wink. Wink. We're not getting paid um, by them at all. No. God, I wish. <laughs> yeah, if you'd like to, please feel free. Uh, several if you things, wanted... Several things that we have done episodes on, including, I believe, this one, are available on your platform. So maybe we could uh, make a deal. But his dad was like obsessed with mermaids and it was like a weird like that he was the eugene levy character this kid's dad okay. who was like a a randy quaid knockoff and i remember it being like a randy quaid knockoff or a dennis quaid knockoff wait hang on dennis okay i was like wait i was like a randy quaid knockoff dennis cousin eddie dennis yeah, that no the cousin eddie is randy quaid oh then randy yeah no the his dad was a discount randy quaid yeah, because the son was like a nerd. It was like Discount Squints. Okay. And then his dad was Discount Randy Quaid. Okay. And he was like a crazy, like, I'm going to catch the mermaid. And like, I remember there'd be like a reason behind why that I'm blanking on now. And I needed a reason why, you know, Eugene Levy was so obsessed with mermaids. Like, I wanted him to be a little crazier. So like, it made sense why no one believed him. 
Um, the internet tells me that Dave Coulier is the dad in that movie. No, no, that's Dave Coulier is the mermaid's dad. This is the best, the nerdy best friend's dad. Okay. The villain of the piece. So it's not Cody's dad. It's a different person. Not Cody's dad. Okay. It's the nerd's dad. I see. Big John Wheatley? That sounds vaguely familiar. There's yeah. a Jess Wheatley. Is the nerd a girl? Yeah, okay. then yes. Uh-huh. Then okay. Big John. So that's Brent Briscoe, uh, who you would probably know from... I can't believe we're doing this. He was like a character actor, but he had... He was one of the heavies in National Treasure. Like one of the bad guys. Oh, was he? One of the bad guy things. He also had a recurring role on Parks and Recreation as JJ of JJ's Diner. No. Oh, yeah. I was like, I know this guy's face like so hard and I can't figure out. Yeah, he was... But in that movie, he's very discount Randy Quaid. He died two years ago. I didn't. I didn't know that. I, that's, this has been an update about a Disney Channel original movie about mermaids for no reason. Thirteenth year. It was one of my favorites. Um, Hanks gets stranded in Cape Cod. I'm bringing it back to Splash, and he gets. Well, on Hanks a, can't swim. Right. So he gets on a dingy dinghy, which is some wordplay I like very much. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm patting myself on the back as I say it. Don't worry. It's a podcast. That's what you're supposed to do. And then he's he's being ferried out by a man named Fat Joe, who when the engine stops working says, "I'm engine inclined." Picks up a hammer whacks it a couple of times decides it's not gonna work jumps off the boat and starts doing a pretty good backstroke and is like it's only a couple miles to shore i'll bring back the small boat and it's this already looks like a like a, a, t- a 13 gallon tub yes. you put christmas decorations in exactly um so hanks like gets frustrated tries to start the motor he does manage to do that and then of course falls out of the boat like an idiot yeah also i I love the sound of Tom Hanks yelling because it always has the same kind of cadence to it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like him yelling, the small boat in this movie is the same as you are a toy yes. in Toy Story. Yes. Like it's always the same. It's really funny that when you said the sound of Tom Hanks yelling, and I bet this is true for people listening as well, that it was like, <laughs> it's like instantly I had a, a line in my head and mine was you are a toy, but I'm sure everyone out there has one. There's like, no crying in baseball. I have made like, fire from Castaway. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I was like this instant. I'm sure everyone out there listening had one immediately leap to mind. Uh, you tweet should, at you us. Should tweet tweet those at us. us your uh, your Tom Hanks yelling moment. Yeah, when someone says Tom Hanks yelling, you tell us uh, what what it is that you. Uh... Uh, so he gets knocked off the boat and loses his wallet and gets rescued by a pretty mermaid to fabulous Castaway K, now reachable by Disney Cruise Line. Yes, this movie has so many weird Disney connections. Like, beyond, obviously, it's made by Disney, but there's, like, so many weird little pieces of Disney minutiae hidden in here. Mm-hmm. Because, um, I well, it's interesting that they bought this island. I guess they bought it for film purposes, I would assume. I don't know. I think it might have been that, or could have could have been any number of things. Because they, they, the, the cruise line is a... I think a '90s thing. They own several islands now. Yeah, well, they didn't. So they, I remember in the beginning, Disney would like rent their characters to a cruise line and be like, "It's Disney Week on this cruise ship." But they didn't have their own cruise line right. until I want to say late '90s. So this was their island in '83 when they were filming. I don't this movie? know if it was their island or it was just an island that they rented for filming and then later bought. Yeah, like just a crazy circumstance. I think. Yeah, that's fair. I'm surprised they don't have uh, the fountain sunk to as an artificial reef in at Castaway K. No, they have the fountain at uh, Hollywood Studios. I know, but they could have done it. I made a second one. Anyway, so he gets knocked out by the boat. Like the boat's like driving in a circle, and then it clocks him in the head. He gets knocked unconscious, and then saved by the mermaid. 
So he uh, gets knocked off the boat and loses his wallet and gets rescued by a beautiful mermaid who brings him on land and sings to him as he wakes up. And when his dog barks in the distance, she jumps back into the water to watch him from a rock. <laughs> That's pretty close. That's pretty close. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong 80s mermaid movie. Um, and then a purple witch came. Yeah. Also, she is buck naked. <laughs> Just totally buck naked. Yeah. She gives him a big kiss and then runs back into the water. Does she kiss him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she does on the beach. Yeah, because she walks up to him and then runs into the water. Should, uh, we, should, we, and so, should we talk about the naked mermaid thing? Was I interrupt your thought? I was going to go in a different route, but go ahead. Oh, I just, we were we were talking about this via text today. And sometimes like we end up talking about something before we record and it, sometimes it makes it in, sometimes it doesn't. But this is just such a weird thing. At the beginning of the movie, there's the little girl who is playing the mermaid. She doesn't wear the tail or anything. You only see her like, you know, her torso, some of her torso. But they like never show this girl's child breasts obviously because she's a child but they still made her be topless and it was apparently like extremely traumatic for this actress there's a piece in the imdb trivia about how she was like crying when they made her do it and i was like man that's so weird like and we were talking about like how is this the cry the crying as the boy goes away because i was like it's a very strong reaction right right to a boy you just met being like going like leaving right right and then it said because she was she she was upset she had to be topless and then there, I found this interview of with her and the little boy, well, now a grown man, of course, but who played the little boy version of Tom Hanks and like the two of them talking about um, working on this movie. Apparently, they were both like actors and models and ended up working together a bunch after this movie. But it, she like was going on and on about how uncomfortable it was and how like they like took her in to meet Daryl Hannah, who was like getting made up and like they were showing her how they were like basically deleting her nipples and that they were going to do the same thing for this little girl. And like there's this big necklace and this gold paint and blah, blah, blah. And I just kept thinking, like, why is it this important to this set full of dudes and women, like, full-grown people, like, why is it that important? Can't they give her a tube top that's flesh-colored? It's not that important. Well, I wonder, allegedly, 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 if the mom said it was okay and was a stage mom. I'm sure. No, but I mean, like, was like, no, 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 my daughter doesn't have a problem. And they're like, she's crying. And she's like, no, she doesn't have a problem. Maybe. I don't like, know. I don't want my daughter replaced. I Allegedly, I have no facts to back that up, right. but I, it's the 80s. Yeah. In any case, it's insane. But Daryl Hannah, mostly naked throughout this movie. And then they, there's like several. She has such a good butt. <laughs> I, I was saying while watching this that like if I look like that, I would just never put clothes on. Yeah, if that's what my butt looked like, I would just, yeah. And there was a couple. Donald Duckin all day. There was a couple of references in the IMDb trivia and elsewhere about how she was like really like aggressive covering up her nipples and i was like yeah because her whole ass is out like i think she's allowed to be a little bit modest (laughs) she's walking around naked all the time yeah like a hundred because there's a couple of scenes where the hair is like like, mostly in underwater where the hair like shifts out of the way and her her breasts look weird yes and i was like do they have some kind I, i was trying to just figure out what kind of modesty something they put because it didn't look like like it didn't look like oh there's a nipple it was like i think that's where a nipple should go right right. they didn't give her a shell bra they just like deleted her nipples yeah which like honestly you could have done anything a shell bra or even like scales little 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 scallop pasties like anything or just like have the scales go higher that's we i don't know if i like that that's getting into like like she's a mermaid up to her ribs then we're getting into ursula territory (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Well, because Ursula's Ursula's octopus is basic is just a dress. It's just a strapless dress. Yeah. Well, they could be a strapless mermaid dress. Um, this was before everyone in the world could buy a silicone mermaid tail for a thousand dollars. Right. Well, okay. Here's the other crazy thing. Allegedly, because I think this might be actor bullshit, but allegedly Daryl Hannah was like a huge fan of the Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid story and would tie her legs together as a kid so she could swim like a mermaid. I did that. Okay, but you had I put, I, I, you had a very famous cartoon movie, and she had a Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale as the reference point. So I believe when you say it, I don't know because like I yeah I used to put the dive the diving rings. I used to get my feet through them and swim like a mermaid. Well, they said she was like incredible at it, so I guess there's she must be telling somewhat of the truth. But yeah, she like would swim faster than her safety team and stuff, and would just be like yeah. gone. This is my favorite and she, scene in the whole movie. It's the stupidest it, possible thing. It's amazing. She swims back into the water, gets his wallet from where it fell, picks it up, goes to a sunken ship, pulls down a bunch of maps she has for reference. One of which is New York. Pulls out his wallet cross-references the ID to the map and is like, well, I gotta swim to New York City, knows where that is, and swims to Manhattan. Yeah, I mean, it's all a prototype for Ariel. I'm just gonna, that's the that's the key word for this, is Ariel's prototype. The direct quote from my girlfriend was, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen, as she was, like, pulling down the map. Well, it's, it's not like she had, you know, she had a handful, she only had a couple maps, so I would imagine that she's, like, memorize the six map like the name the words on the six maps she has yes i that is not the part that i find incredulous it's that they have a bunch of maps in the ship and one is new york it's like a wooden galleon ship like a like a like a sailing ship from the 1700s yeah there were states in the 1700s it's ridiculous it's so ridiculous well, no, because the maps are also f- like p- not printed on paper because they're not destroyed so they're old maps I guess. I mean, maps were printed on paper back then, so you're creating a world in which the mermaids have, like, gotten a paper map, copied it onto some water No, I think, I'm thinking it was made on, because not all maps were made on paper. Some were, some could have been, some were fabric, and some were other things. I guess. Um, but this movie is all real. Everything is practical. Like, Daryl Hannah is actually swimming in an actual sunken ship, grabbing actual maps, putting them on a real table. And a real turtle does a backflip in front of her. Yeah, it rules. And it's just, it's not, they're going to, they're making live action Little Mermaid whenever that happens soon. And it's just not going to look like this. It's going to be gonna, 100% less cool. It's going to be a real bummer. It's going to be wire, green screen wires, just like Aquaman was. And then they're going to like blow air in their hair and later put the water in. Yeah, it's just, I really hope, like, it took, God, I hope. It took three hours for them to strap her into this tail and then they just like put her underwater with a breathing tube and made her swim around for hours yeah and then she couldn't get out of it for lunch so they would throw french fries over the side of the tank like she was a seal well no she said they would haul her out and put her up on the dock but then she couldn't eat because she couldn't get out because she couldn't pee so she wouldn't eat or drink while she was in the legs yeah but but there were sometimes that like they didn't even take her out she just stayed in the tank ridiculous well it's like how allegedly Although she said this herself, so I, I think it has some merit. In Hocus Pocus, when they were filming Hocus Pocus, Sarah Jessica Parker loved the flying rig so much that when everyone else would break and come down, she would just ask to stay up in the flying rig. And then she was, said she 
she had enough space in her costume to hide a New York Times up the back of her corset. And so she would just pull out the New York Times and sit on her broomstick and read. There was an actress who was just in Aquaman who would do that with a book. Um, I'm going to look it up and see if I can get it from the cast list. But apparently Jason Momoa was like a huge dick and would like take her book out of her hands and just like throw it down. He really is Gaston. Yeah. It must have been Amber Heard. Because you know he wasn't pulling that shit. Michelle Pfeiffer? Was she the queen? In I don't movie? know. I, I don't. I don't actually. Diane Keaton? There was some random woman in that movie that I was like, I read, I didn't see it. Julie Andrews, Julie Andrews plays a fucking Kraken in it. No. Yes. Mocap? She, Mocap? she said, no thank you for Mary Poppins 2. Yeah, I mean, probably. She said, no thank you for Mary Poppins 2, but I would very much like to be a Kraken in Aquaman. So the, the Mary Poppins 2, I, I sort of get her reasoning. I, I'm just saying, the franchise that you have like a direct connection to... Or you have playing a Kraken and Aquaman. Objectively, she picked the more interesting thing. I just think it's Buck Wild. Yeah. I, I want to... Diane Keaton or, like, Diane Weist. There's some random older actress who was in that movie that I was like, you're in this movie? What are you in Aquaman for? Yeah, Jason Momoa. He adopted this method of ripping out the pages of my book so I would pay attention to him. It would drive me crazy because I'd have 30 pages left and it would be gone. Like... He seems like an okay dude. That is serial killer shit. That's fucking Gaston. Yeah. Like, that's a Disney villain. Wait, Google, figure out who is, I'm sorry, I need to know who this older actress is. Just, it's on the Wikipedia. Nicole Kidman. Thank you. I knew, I was like, it's at something that I was like, why are you here? Anyway, she gets the address. We come, we cut to New York. It seems so weird that he went all the way to Cape Cod and then nothing happened in Cape Cod. Like, beyond this little... I wanted it to be like he goes to Cape Cod and he goes to kill himself. Like that's the much more interesting thing. And then she saves his life. You wanted the uh, better off dead. Well, I wanted it's a wonderful life. Oh, uh, okay. Like that's objectively the move here. And it's like almost baffling to me that that's not the way that they go with it. Cause it's, it's the logical move. He's super depressed. No one's ever going to love me. You know, what am I going to do with my life? This is, I'm, I'm a worthless chut. Let me kill myself. I mean, they're already taking a big gamble with this first, like, adult movie from the a Disney brand. Sure, so. but, like, the It's a Wonderful Life has this exact scene, and that's a beloved movie by this point. It's like people would get I the mean, reference point of, like, It's a Wonderful Life. That's fair. Um, anyway, he, in New York, we have my second favorite thing in all of movies, after a true bag of soup, a head bandage. Yeah. Yep. My life that's goal what- is to be in a movie with a head bandage. And I want to play a mermaid. Speaking of bag of soups, you should all check the Twitter at dissect the eighties because uh, this dumb little show on on Hulu that I think airs in the UK on some television or another called Zomboat, not very good, has the best bag of soup I've ever seen in anything. It's amazing. It the, he showed me the GIF and it's wonderful. It is magical. It is so good. So the 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 rules that we sort of pick up on are. When her legs are, when she is dry, she has legs. And when she gets wet, she has a fin. Right. But it calls into question a lot of like gremlin style logic confusions because they show her climbing out of the water on Staten Island or no. Not Staten Island, uh, Ellis Island. Ellis Island. Thank you. Climbing over the railing with her feet. But like the other side, she was literally just coming out of the water. So. 
she would have had to like grab on, lift her legs at an L like a like she's in the gym. Yeah. Waggle her tail around to air dry until her legs came out and then hoist herself over the top. Yep, you're absolutely right. And then like a lot of little things like um she walks over a steam vent and like usually if I walk through a steam vent like a few droplets of water collect on my skin. Sure. D- does she not drink any liquids? Like what? It's almost like it should have been like she comes out at sunrise and it's like you have from sunrise on this day until sunset on that day. And like if you get wet, you're getting a fin, but you stay dry, you stay legged because you're right. Like it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I needed a little something. What also makes no sense is that she like gets out of the water. And I know that like the Statue of Liberty is a touristy place where, you know, whatever. But a person walking naked down the street in New York City is really not going to garner that much attention. No, but I think because it's the Statue of Liberty, like no local New Yorkers at the Statue of Liberty. Right. But even the guy who is like giving the tour, who, by the way, is one of the writers of this movie in one of the um, endless cameos. So both writers, both of Ron Howard's parents and his brother all have cameos in this movie. Was Bryce alive yet? I don't think so. I was going to say, was someone holding a baby in this movie? Because <laughs> it, it was probably Bryce, Bryce Dallas Howard. Actually, the timing lines up. She was probably born around this time, right? Because she's about my age. I think so. Yeah, she's a little older than you. Yeah. Yeah, she's the oldest daughter. She was born in 81, so she would have been three. I guarantee you she's in this movie somewhere. Yeah, some there's she's a baby in this movie. She's first credited in Parenthood, which is 89, but I, I guarantee you she's in, she walks through one of these scenes somewhere. But anyway, yeah. this guy, this this tour guide's doing, like, the worst, like, New York statement. Like, he talking, you know, like, ah, yeah, welcome to the Statues of Liberties. She's a... That's, that's a little Coach Steve. <laughs> well, that's basically what she's... Coach Steve is a New York accent. It's like... She's a big greens lady, and she got, uh, we got a great slice of pizza, and, uh, hey, oh, Teamsters. Like, that's the kind of nonsense we're doing here. Yeah. And immediately everyone is like, whoa, a hot naked lady. Yeah. And this one dude is like, take my picture with her. Take my picture with her. Did you get it? Did you get it? And it's like, bro, (laughs) chill. A little chill. It's just so fascinating because she... She obviously comes from the mermaid world and has no concept of anything. Like, she doesn't even speak yet. Right. She's, like, doesn't understand why, like, she's, why people are paying attention to her. Like, it's so fascinating to see that. And the police immediately grab her and they're like, we're taking you to jail, sicko. And nobody, like, throws a jacket around her. They're just like, no, we're just going to bring this naked woman around. Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Later we see her with a shirt on, but still. They gave her an, I'm, oh, I bet they didn't want to pay for an I Heart NY shirt. Oh, that must have been it. Because she's wearing a, like, Statue of Liberty. Right. Like, I went to, my mom went to the Statue of Liberty, and all I got was a lousy t-shirt. Yeah. So, meanwhile, the the mafia is visiting Tom Hanks at the grocery depot uh, with John Candy, and John Candy has lied and told this guy that uh, Tom Hanks is a Vietnam War vet, and so Tom Hanks has this head bandage, and the guy's yeah, like- Like, wasn't that? Vietnam in the 60s? 70s. 70s. I guess I could track. I mean, I, I think it's just a bad lie. No, but like when he looks at Tom Hanks, he immediately is like, oh, you were in Vietnam like I was. Yeah. And I was like. No, I think that guy was just also in a war. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. It, it ended in 75. So if Tom Hanks came in at the tail end, it would have been 10 years ago. Like, eh, maybe he's too, maybe he's old enough. Well, no, because so if he was eighteen and eighty in seventy five, he'd have been twenty eight now. It, it would have been pushing it. No, I guess not. He could have been. He could have been eighteen and 
the flashback was 20 years ago and he was about i'm really bad at kids ages i'm gonna guess he was like six or seven yeah i mean that that seems right he was actually born in 56 so tom hanks when this movie filmed was 28 so he conceivably could have been in the vietnam war barely yeah anyway he gets a call at the fruit depot and they're like hey this is the police we found your wallet and there's this naked woman here with it and he goes like sprinting away to take care of this there's a tom hanks shaped hole in the wall yeah basically um so he picks up Daryl Hannah, and immediately she wants to fuck. <laughs> They're like gross making out at the police station. And in the elevator. I was just like, they wait, st- wait They hit the emergency minute. stop in the elevator in his building so that they can go to Bone Town. It's just like, wait a minute. It's like what? another 25 yards, and it's objectively better. But also, she goes, so either we can assume Mermaid World is just like, fuck city yes like mermaid world and gay world are the same in that it's just like or, and old everyone immediately yeah and old folks homes gay world old folks homes mermaid world fuck city because like she sees his face for the third time in her life and she's like yeah uh we're gonna we're gonna have sex but that also raises the question that like we're gonna get another howard the duck moment fish sex is very different than human yeah sex. how does she know how to have sex like a human because apparently, it, it, this is all, these should all be new parts for her. Right. And also, she can't speak at all at this point. Like, she's not even making noises. He keeps being like, oh, she doesn't speak English. But as far as Tom Hanks knows, she cannot verbalize at all. No. But, I mean, it's not like she she jumps on him. So it Right, is, but I just feel the like... The consent is there. Yeah, it's I, a, it is a... I just feel like it would come up at some point that you'd be like, huh, and your name is what again? And then right back to the face sucking. Yeah. So he is, they, they go to Bone Town a lot. He is immediately in love with her. He's like, hey, stay in my apartment all day. I made you breakfast. Hang out here. I'll be back later. It's also you know three what? in the afternoon and on a work day. And he has made her like a nine course breakfast. Yeah. He's made a June Cleaver breakfast. And then he's like, you know what? I'll, we can have sex again real quick. And then I'll go back to work. And I was like, what does the Fruit Depot work day look yeah, like? I assumed, like what are the hours? I assumed the Fruit Depot was like 4 a.m. to 2 p.m. max. Yeah, it's a. It is a. Seems like a early thing. Yeah, because it's not. It's a, it's not like a like an Italian market where like it's just everyone has a stand. Right. It's like the supplier for people. He's a wholesaler. Thank you. That's the word. Yeah. Um. He's also singing Zippity Doodah because it's a Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Which apparently, allegedly, Splash Mountain was so named to sell this movie five years later that doesn't make any sense i i believe it could have been eisner being like splash was my big success like i kind of staked my reputation on trying this new thing of like we're going to release a movie for an adult i want the word in the name of my first big ride like that all jives to me yeah and he was the one who took a chance on little mermaid that same year as splash mountain right so like i could well before actually i could see him being like i the the I want this name. This is part of my the thing is mermaids. <laughs> I love water. I love splashes and I love chicks with tails. Actually, it'd, it'd be like, hello, my Michael Eisner. Hi, I'm Michael Eisner. No, it's always hello. It's always oh, hello. It? It's hello. I'm Michael Eisner. Welcome to the wonderful world of Walt Disney. I like chicks with it, tails. It's very, you're, I'm not good at like, voices. I get it. You're like kissing. Kissing on the line of uh, of Harvey Firestein. You were very, you were basically here. Shelley Winters or Shelley Duvall. Anyway. Shirley MacLaine. 
hello, I like tails on chicks, and I like racist cartoons. He rolls up his sleeve, and there's just a a mermaid tattoo. The commercial that Daryl Hannah watches is the worst ad in the history of television. Apparently it's real. It's just women on a runway, and I don't remember the name. Oh, that commercial. Yes, Yes, that one's bad. I'm sorry. No, Crazy Eddie is funny to me. This is objectively bad. This is, it's, I can't remember the name of the fashion house, but it's like, do you remember the name? I'll do the commercial for you. Okay. Anne Klein, Bloomingdale's. Anne Klein, Bloomingdale's. And women are just slowly walking on a runway. Like, not even a lot of outfits. It's just slow. Like, a woman walks the full length of the runway in one outfit, and then it repeats when the second woman comes out. It's baffling. It's baffling. Um, But that's how she learns to go to Blooming, like the word Bloomingdale's. And so she puts on his full suit, knows how to tie a tie. Yeah, does a great job with that, which makes absolutely Uh, no uh, sense. Maybe... Maybe he's one of those like me where you just loosen it and take it off. I see. You don't tie a tie? That seems so much it would be your thing. I do sometimes, but like a lot, of, I don't wear ties that often. That's oh. my, like, I, I very rarely have an excuse to wear a tie. I see. She also takes his wallet in addition to the suit, which is important. Oh, she does? That's, that's like, oh, yeah, yeah. she picks up the wallet. Oh, I didn't remember that. Um, So she goes to Bloomingdale's because it's the only word she knows, and she's looking around, and LOL, New Yorkers are so glib. Because the saleswoman's like, what'd you see Annie Hall too many times? That style's out. Here, let's let's put you in something better. And, like, sets her up with all this stuff. I couldn't figure out who this, this actress was, but she, um, I guess there are three women speaking roles in this, because this woman does talk. And they don't- but she's not significant. And they don't talk about a man, so I guess by the, the rule, it would technically pass the Bechdel test, although in spirit, absolutely not. True, but also, the new Halloween movie can't pass the Bechdel test. Yeah, I guess you're right. Because all they talk about is Michael. Right. Or the shape. Um, but this woman's voice seems so familiar to me and I could not place her. I feel like she should have been an Ellen Green, uh, a Janine, uh, Annie, Annie Lennox. Potts. No. Annie Potts. Thank you. For being for such a big fan of that woman, it's crazy that you never remember her name. Just saying. I know. I'm awful. Um, it's, yeah, I feel like it should have been like a real Pearlman and Annie Potts and Ellen Green, like... A name? Yeah. Uh, so she sells her a bunch of clothes, and then she's like, you really ought to stop by the lingerie department. A woman like you wearing boxer shorts. Who would believe it? And then Daryl Hannah instead goes to a place with just a wall of televisions and then just stands there and apparently just absorbs the entire English language in one afternoon. Yeah, that, it seemed a bit, a bit much. Stupid. The word you're looking for is stupid. It seems a bit stupid. A movie nominated for Best Screenplay at the Academy Awards has a scene in which the female lead, who doesn't speak English for an hour of the movie, watches TV and learns all of English. So I have a question. I don't, I don't know if you know the answer to this. Do they get the original shooting script? Like, Is that it how they judge the they Oscars? Submit. Because I'm very curious what, like, if anything got left on the editing room floor. I mean, maybe. Like I said, the whole or like, mafia oh, subplot. Like, hey, we're, we're, we don't need this part in there or whatever. I, my assumption is the thing that is submitted is extremely close to the filmed movie. Okay. Because if um, you did change it significantly, it'd be weird to send them a screenplay. They'd be like, this is better than what we were able to produce, but take it anyway. Yeah. Um, Tom Hanks is, again, giving a great performance. As he's like, He goes home, sees she's not there, runs out. Is hitting the elevator, hits the other elevator, stops with his hands out as he's like darting back and forth, figuring out which elevator is going to open, and then jumps. Like he looks like Woody. Yeah, no, it's like great. he moves it's a very like fun Woody, and it's great. Yeah, uh, and then he finds her in the TVs, 
And this is the only part that I vividly remember consistently Ditto. is the um the dolphin name. Which is, you know, a squeak. Yeah. And then it breaks all the TVs. And the two dudes are like dumbfounded, the TV shop employees. And Tom Hanks is like, how about those Knicks, huh? And then they just like do like a Scooby-Doo beat feet out of there. Star wipe. Um, and so hand wavy, she's learned English. We get a real grungy Times Square. It is up there with, um, it's glamour grunge, I call it. Mm. It's like the Hollywood grunge. Yeah, it's still pretty yucky. But it's like it's like uh, Jason takes Manhattan. Did you catch like, that uh, Evil Dead was on the one marquee? Yes, I wrote that down. Okay. Um, I and I, this is another like actual like good film. Like it's so refreshing to watch a well constructed movie. Um, Daryl Hannah has such a beautiful like movement vocabulary throughout the whole movie. Like while she's on land, she moves like someone who's only ever moved in water. Yeah. Like. She has Glide, a, a fluidity of. to her and her, the way she moves her arms and her, like, it's just so beautiful to watch. I'm like you got, like you put so much into this. Yeah, for sure. Um, Literal fish out of water. Yes. We also get, he's like, okay, I can't make that fish noise. So I got to call you something. And he's like fishing for a name to call her. Apparently uh, he says the name of his daughter and the name of his then wife before um, Rita Wilson. Is that her name? I hope that's Rita name. Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was married before they were married. And then uh, he says, like, oh, Madison, I guess we could call you Madison. And the funny part, I was literally. Well, no, they're on Madison Avenue. Right. And so she says, oh, I like that name. I'm literally, like, looking at the trivia. The first piece of trivia is, you know, this movie popularized this name Madison. And my girlfriend is like, what? Madison's not a real. Because he's like, that's not a real name. She's like, Madison's not a real name. And I literally was like, look, I just learned this. And I showed it to her. And it was like, you know, this. And I was like, that's got to be bullshit. But I looked it up online. And like, the trend line for Madison is like dead. And then in 1984 starts up and like, you know, rises really quickly. And now we just got 100,000 Khaleesi's and Daenerys. I mean, whatever. I find people like hand wringing over what other people choose to name their children kind of obnoxious, to be honest with you. And, and honestly, usually a little bit racist, but now it seems to be like mostly, uh, I don't, I don't I'm not being a racist when I not. say idiots naming their kid Khaleesi. Like that's a made up word yeah. from game of Thrones. Yeah, but it's all made up. I know. It's just like, it's all, it's all fine. It's all fine. If you, do you want your kid to get bullied? It's not though, because no, like that's the thing is like if you went to school with a Khaleesi, people would be like, "What a fucking weirdo!" But all the kids now are names are just gonna be like nine vowels strung together. Like there's no, there's nowhere near anything like it is. Like the, Andrew would be the weirdo in 2028 and in second grade. So it's like they're all gonna be weird names. Like that's what everyone has chosen to do is be weird. Fine, who gives a shit? Call your kid Oscar Mayer Wiener. Who cares? Like, the most popular name right now is, like, it's probably Madison spelled M-A-D-I-S-S-Y-N. M-A-D-Y-S-S-Y-N. U-N. Yeah, yeah. It's like everybody spells everything like psychos now. It's fine. That's just what we do. It's fine. I think that's that's always my thing. I'm like, you. it's always like, you're just trying to be so I s- interesting. I saw a Peyton that was P-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. Yeah, everybody spells ever, everything weird now. It's fine. And if it was, any of these are your names out there in listener land, please do you not should take feel this bad. As, my name is Trip. It's I got a weird name too. Your name is bad, and you should feel bad. Um, well, they, they were, I remember there was a tick. I don't remember the name because it was so stupid. But there was a TikTok where a girl was like, "These are my baby names. I want to pick." And it was broken down by like boy, girl, gender neutral. And I was like, "Those are nonsense. <laughs> Those aren't names. 
Those are nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And she was earnest about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, whatever. If that makes you happy, make sure the kid doesn't get beat up too much, you know? That's, fine. that's, that's my problem. But they're all good. I'm saying, like, I, you are coming at it with the idea of, like, the thing that I am used to is the normal thing. I'm telling you that it's not because all the things that you're like, what the hell is the status quo? The Andrews of the world in 2030 in second grade are going to be the weirdos. I mean, I was a weirdo, but not because of my name. Right, but I'm saying the name Andrew, you're going to be the weirdo. So they go home to his apartment. Well, this is where she introduces the timeline that like doesn't make sense and is never fully specified beyond like, I have six days. Yeah. Um, there's no like, you have to fall in love with me in six days. There's no like, she doesn't seem to have an end goal No, it's, here. it's just like, I get this one week. Rep- it's like it's like Mermaid Springa. Yeah, it's it's Mershpring. Yeah, it's like I get to hang out with the people world for a little bit, and then I got to go back under the sea. But she's like the whole reason is that I got this crab says, friend. You're the reason He's I came just constantly here. singing to me like, "Hey, down where it's winter," and I'm like, "I get it, I get it," but I got to see what it's like up there. <laughs> this movie is. 50%. I got a sea. I got a. I got a seagull trying to sell me pot. <laughs> yes, this movie is fifty percent better if she has a seagull friend and a crab friend. By the way. <sighs> I got snarf flat today. <coughs> I got the best seaweed you can get, girl. I got dingle hopper, bro. <laughs> I got kelp crusher. And then and then Sebastian probably, is her narc. Those are probably real weed names that we just accidentally came up with, by the way. Well, I was just naming things from Yes, Little I know. I'm just saying. I Kelp Crusher, I just made up. But I bet both that and Dingle Hopper. That sounds like it would have been like a cereal and a Freddy Fish game. Yeah, but I bet I bet there's a Dingle Hopper weed. Anyway. Um, um, so they go home, and she decides in the middle of the night to take a bath. So she grabs some salt and p- draws herself a bath. And there's a really cool effect they did with, like, vacuum sealing her, it's basically. It's so awesome. But it's just, again, it, I needed, like, a... a half a second shot of her put like swinging over and putting her leg like her feet into the water yeah because it doesn't look like she touches the water it's like when she's around water she just right um but the we see this like it sucks down and the scales pop out and a little fin pops up like it's so it's very much uh american werewolf it's in London. very good so she's like, I'm having a midnight bath, getting my tail back, having my own thing. And then Tom Hanks shows up and she's like, oh, crap, I have to dry off. And she's like frantically splatting her legs with a towel and like using the, the hair dryer, which I really like. And Tom Hanks is like, open this door right now. What's happening in there? Well, she also clearly flops out of the, to- out of the, the tub and he's like, are you OK? Did you fall? What happened? And she seems like totally unfazed. Is like, no, it's just having a bath. I like that the salt is kind of hidden. I wanted her to like have to like push it behind the thing or something. I wanted, well, see, I wanted him to, I wanted him to see it and have him be like, that's weird, and like have a few hints and things. Um, Eugene Levy stumbles upon the location of Madison because uh, one of his lackeys is reading the uh, sleazy tabloid, and it's like, I think it's just lady the National Enquirer, the, the the biggest of the sleazy tabloids. Yeah. Naked lady and the Statue of Liberty. Instead of saying the Statue of Liberty is naked, it's a naked lady at the Statue of Liberty. Sure. And so he grabs it and he realizes that's her because he saw her earlier. We didn't mention that. He saw Madison earlier. Right. He just couldn't get his camera up in time. Yeah. So he's like, take me to New York. And then the a mermaid, 
There's a spiral and a mermaid tail comes to the camera and backs out as we go back to Tom Hanks and Madison. <laughs> yeah. Um this is the moment like this is one of those many scenes where like we've alluded to like this definitely this movie got chopped up a bunch she's watching bonanza the western show and a guy got shot and she's like weeping over it how sad it is and tom hanks is like no it's just television it's not real there was supposed to be a callback to this later where she was watching a plane crash on the news in public and was like howling with laughter which would be just the most tone deaf but i also think that's funny like i yeah. Would appreciate that joke. Yeah, but like people would be horrified. Like mom um, would not find that joke funny. <laughs> oh, of course not. M- mom and I have very different tastes. Right, but I'm just saying, like the stuff you and I enjoy is often pretty far out from the mainstream middle. It's the beginning of the Howard. <laughs> the beginning of the Howard? He was like, we can't put that in this movie. <laughs> that's that's not for the moms. That's not for the moms. The Howard. It sounds like a fragrance. (laughs) Tom Hanks takes her to see the mermaid fountain, which he's like, I've always loved this fountain. I don't know why I love mermaids so much, but it's almost like when I was a kid, a mermaid saved my life. But that'd be weird, right? And she's like, oh, yeah, I remember doing that. What? Oh, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I don't speak English well. Remember, I only learned how you say. Yes. (laughs) How you say. I get it. (laughs) I, uh, Uh, I comprende. And then he brings her a big ass Tiffany's box. Yes. Like, it's a huge Tiffany. I yeah. was like, I didn't know they made things that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a great moment of acting, of like writing and act, like everything coming together because he hands her the box and she like looks at it with such joy and she kisses it and she holds it and goes, It's beautiful. I love it. And he's like, Will you, will, will you open it? Yeah. She's like, Oh, there's more? <laughs> it's so great. Yeah, she's very good in this performance. Um, and it's a weird, I thought was going to be important thing. Like it's a yeah. a music box with dancing people yeah, in it. Yeah, it's kind of just a stupid bauble. I think it's just supposed to like reinforce the leg motif. Yeah. Because they got dangly legs. Yeah, yeah. It's it's okay. It's not great. Like even if that's what it is, it's not really all that helpful in moving the movie forward, to be honest. Yeah. And there's a weird looped kissing shot. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah, I did. I did. There's they a, like there's also kiss, it goes they bring it back and then let it run again. Earlier in the movie, there's a weird scene where someone's driving a forklift and it's like bizarrely sped up for no reason at all. Like it goes, it, it's like double timed for just this forklift and then it goes back to normal. I didn't notice that. It's almost like like in the movie Carrie, there's that weird five seconds where they speed up talking in the like tux rental place. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, why is this here? Right. Like, did you really need to get these like down five seconds in this movie? It doesn't make any sense. I almost um, wonder so if she... stuff like that is like some weird artifact of the film being transferred to like home video mediums. Maybe. Although I don't know. I feel like Brian, like it feels like a very conscious choice. Maybe. By Brian De Palma. Yeah, maybe. Um, and then for some reason, uh, John Candy and Tom Hanks got invited to a political dinner where the president would be speaking. Yes. Well, it's because of John Candy schmoozing with the mafia. Oh, is that yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, that w- I didn't get also that. Also, they're playing racquetball while John Candy has a cigarette dangling from his mouth. And when he like gets winded, he's like, you want a beer? And he cracks one open and it is fabulous. I, I was like, this is me. Like, this is what I want to do in a movie. <laughs> I want to swing a racquetball once while I'm like doing other like this is what I want. Right. He also gets hit with a racquetball and a pretty nice bit of physical comedy. A couple times. Yeah. 
Uh, so, yeah, but they get invited to this presidential dinner. Tom Hanks is like, I want to take the girl. And he's like, you're in love with her. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what that means, but sure. So he goes back to the apartment and there's Daryl Hannah. Like, I got a surprise for you. And it's the mermaid fountain. And she had the fountain installed. Like, she didn't just have it delivered. She yeah, had it delivered water and installed yes, to run. Yes, which is kind of insane. Um, but she's for her necklace. Yeah. Apparently it was worth that much. I mean, it was a very fancy looking necklace. It's worth a fountain. Yeah, I mean, they, plus were, they, labor. they were getting rid of it. She was doing them a favor. She took I, it off their hands. I guess. Eugene Levy has a plan now, and he's, like, going to get this mermaid wet and prove his point. So he's, like, chasing this couple down with buckets of water, and he throws the water. Well, his teacher is like, what are you going to do? How are you going to prove it? Throw a bucket of water on her? And Eugene Levy's like, you can literally see a light bulb uh-huh, appear, uh-huh. basically. And he's like, <gasps> So he chases this couple down, throws the two buckets of water on the woman, turns around. Of course, it's not Daryl Hannah. The man who's with this woman punches him in the face and breaks his arm. Did you notice that it was a composite shot? No. So he throws the bucket of water and then picks up his camera. And then we see it through the perspective of his camera. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. got like the like stuff on it. And the man approaches the camera. It's uh, one hour, three minutes, about 50 seconds. I wrote it down. Um, approaches the, ca- the camera and then, quote unquote, his hand reaches up to grab it. But it is 100% not his real hand. Oh. It, they added that in post. Interesting. 100%. Well, he gets his ass kicked, which is pretty funny. And then uh, we go to the obviously the most famous scene in this whole movie. Yeah, I get. I guess. Um, I, I again, I haven't seen this movie forever. I didn't know this was about to happen, and I lost it. I was at work and and like had to take a moment to pause the vi- movie and like duck onto my desk and like not laugh out loud in front of patients because they get lobsters delivered. And at first, at I, at re- I thought they were going restaurant. I thought they were going to do the stupid thing where like in movies where like mermaids are horrified that humans eat seafood right. when like. What the hell else do you eat? Yeah, yeah. You live under the water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so they hand her the lop. They put the lobsters on the plate. And he's like, careful, ma'am. It's very hot. And she picks up the whole ass lobster and just bites into the shell like a like an animal. Yes. And eats it that way. And it's great. Uh, Daryl Hannah is like a strict, strict, strict vegetarian and won't eat seafood and uh, would weep between takes after having to because they had to kill lobsters to make it for this and all i can think of like they couldn't get a f- lobster candy mold and make a like a chocolate one or something like so yeah it's it was a real lobster shell that they hollowed out yeah. and then filled with tofu yes uh and so she she has to like bite through the other thing i was thinking is like maybe when you were a mermaid your digestive system could handle eating lobster shell but a human digestive system is not designed to eat that you would have a very, very difficult bathroom trip ahead of you. Well, that's also assuming she knows how to poop. Yeah, that's also true. She presumably doesn't know how to use a toilet. Um, Maybe that's why she had to take the bath at Tom Hanks. She was just like so desperate poop. to poop. She's like, I have to poop. I don't know how to do it's this. It's just filled with those little like goldfish uh-huh. poops. She had to like get her legs turned into a tail so she could have a bowel movement. <laughs> If that was that is the that is the pettiest Ursula clause. If they, like if they, it's not that she can't, it's that she doesn't know how, and so she's like, it's just easier for me to go mermaid for this. Yeah. If this if they were making those like Friedberg seltzer movies, like this bad bad spoofs at the time of this movie, one hundred percent that's a scene in it of like she desperately has to poop, and so she has to get into fish legs so she can poop. Mm, thank I 
Thank the gods <laughs> that there's not a mermaid movie. Like, capital M, capital yeah, M, yeah. mermaid movie. Here, they go ice skating, and of course she's really good at it. And she's wearing a pink dress, much like Ariel wears. Um, and there's this interesting bit here where he's like, she's like, I have something I have to tell you, and I can't figure out how. And he's like, what? And he rattles off all the things that could be, including, did you used to be a man? And then he's like, I don't care, which is incredibly progressive for 1984. Yeah. It was a punchline, but we'll take yeah, it. But just very confusing to me, the tone of this. I, I, I'll i wait and get to it when we get to it. But I, like, I'm like i very confused as to how he goes from like, doesn't matter what you are. like, Because like, frankly, learning that the person that you think is a female in 1984 used to be, uh, was born a male and biologically transitioned. I hope I'm phrasing that correctly. Yeah. Is as unlikely in 1984 as them being an actual goddamn mermaid. You're right. You're right. And his reaction to finding out she's a mermaid is like insane in comparison to this way that he talks. So I just, I don't know. I just found it so weird that it was like, like he picks the, and I'm using liberal air quotes here. The craziest, you know, thing she could be was that she used to be a man and I would be fine with that. And then when it's like, the ballpark equivalent of like something that shocking for 1984. I'm magic and can swim. Right. He's like, whoa. It's kind of like it. It's similar to in Little Mermaid how they don't really establish. Like they establish in the beginning that the human world does not know mermaids. Right. Exist. Like mermaids are a myth that aren't real. And then in front on a royal barge in front of hundreds of people, not only does a giant fishtopus appear, yes. but a mermaid appears. Right. And, like, there's a lot to unpack yeah. there for all these people that are like, what is happening? Their world literally changes in an instant. Yes. And they're the... Also, when that boat gets back to shore, who's going to believe them? Right. Like, yeah, y'all... Oh, only the rich... Oh, all the rich people yeah. saw a mermaid? Yeah, like, sure. Yeah, whatever you say, sure. people. Um, and so this is where I realized that I, I don't know if it's... I'm going to say it with certainty, but don't quote me on it, even though I'm speaking with certainty... Every Tom Hanks movie has a trademark Tom Hanks shitheel turn it's that sure, he then has to repivot. It sure seems like, at least in what we've watched, it sure seems like a real regular thing for him. Yeah. Even even Woody. Yeah. On several occasions. Like, in the first movie, Woody's a dick. Yeah, no, he is. I think it is I think it is a, a fact that, like, Tom Hanks is so charming and likable that you're, like, able to do that. Like, most actors could not pull that off in one movie. Oh, God, no. And even, like, big-name people, like Brad Pitt, you can't do that with Brad Pitt. He has to be one way the whole right, way through. Right, Like, And so it is that he's, like, this, like, very charming, you know... Even Leo's never done yeah, that. Yeah, no, he definitely he definitely can't do it. Definitely can't do it. Leo is too... Like, even when he's playing a sweet person, seems like a psycho. <laughs> he has this, yeah. like, bubbling edge to him that Tom Hanks just does not have. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Tom Hanks and Ron Howard make a great pair. Yeah, which is why they did all those they did all those stupid uh, Da Vinci movies. Yeah, and also Apollo eleven or thirteen rather, and also and I think Ron Howard was a producer on Band of Brothers. He was. Oh, and I think Tom Hanks produces a lot. Did you know he produced Mamma Mia? I I think I did know that. He's like a big music guy because he made that thing you do. It, I was like Tom Hanks produced a, a couple musicals, and I was like, really? Yeah, I think he I think he and Rita are big fans. Huh. They seem like a couple that um, would just like take in a Broadway show. That seems like very much them. Them and I also feel that way about Christopher Guest and I almost said Laurie Strode. Yes. <laughs> and Jamie Lee. Yeah, Curtis. yeah, yeah, for sure. 
apparently their life is just like they read hist- they read history nonfiction books. That seems in their that home. Seems about right. Drink tea. <laughs> I was like, that sounds so like true to what I imagine Jamie Lee Curtis's life is yeah. like. And so she runs away when he. She's like. He's like turns into an asshole because she's like I don't I don't want to marry you and I don't know how to tell you this thing and he's and she thinks the subject has changed because she's like is this really what happens to water when it gets too cold it doesn't really get cold where I am and he's like oh that's just great <laughs> and she's like <laughs> that was a good Tom Hanks head move it's sad nobody got to see it thank you and then I don't remember the second thing but he's like he, oh yeah that going for you too <laughs> like it's just great I don't have ice where you come from it's like yeah that's a good point like. <laughs> It doesn't have to get that cold for you to understand what ice is as a human. Yeah. Oh, it's so hot. You live in Florida. <laughs> um, I also love this. So she storms off and Tom Hanks is, goes running after her as she like kicks the ice skates off and then goes running. He still has them on. And the guy who's like the minimum wage employee at this Rockefeller Center knockoff tackles him and then is like wrapped his arms around one of Tom Hanks's feet and is like you ain't going nowhere buddy and he's like desperately unlacing the skate with one hand it's like pal he's a Dwight Schrute yeah how do you care this much like if I worked in a honestly I I would be like whatever I'm just gonna write that like (laughs) some dude ran away on the skate like I have we have his shoes I have guess. yeah exactly I'm picturing I'm picturing there's like a scene that's not in the movie where it's like the boss rallied all these employees together before the thing and he's like, Last year we had four pairs of skates go missing. And I swear to God, if one of you let somebody out of here with our skates, I'm gonna beat you to death with a pair of them. I'm gonna kill you with an ice skate. That's what I'm gonna do to you. And so this poor guy is like, I don't wanna get murdered with an ice skate. The alternative is that he is the only employee. There's a boss, and he's the only employee. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's, while Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah are talking on the ice, he's polishing employee of the month photos. Like, it's just a wall full of his photo. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to keep my spot. <laughs> he's just desperate, yeah. Um, and so the whole this whole movie, I was like, well, what happens if it ra- like it rains sometimes? It's not California. It rains sometimes in New right, York. Right. What happens? And finally, we get the rain, and she is trapped under a bridge yeah. where there's no rain. It's actually a really nice crane shot that goes from like him up above to her down below. Again, credit where it's due. We don't. I don't super love Ron Howard as a director, but he does some cool stuff in this movie. You know what's going to happen? We're going to be at uh, some fancy party. Uh-huh. Bryce Dallas Howard is going to throw a drink in our face. Yes. And then we're going to, as we're wiping it off, she's going to step aside so her dad can step forward and then throw a drink in our face. And then Clint's going to come back with two shrimp cocktails. Like, what happened? <laughs> and we're going to be like, Clint, we're the guy we wanted to see. No, we're not even talking to Clint. That's the, that was the joke. He was getting us shrimp cocktail. <laughs> He's like, hey, Ronnie, don't, these guys are great. They love me in movies. And then Bryce Dallas Howard is secretly a listener of our, just hate listens to our show to find out how often she comes up on it. And is like, she's got a bunch of clips that she's playing. She's got a tally and then, and a master, like a, a master cut. Yeah. Yeah. She just starts, she has a playlist on her phone of just like all the times that we shit on members of the Howard family, except Clint. And so it's just like one after the other. And we're like, but you don't have the clips where we talk about how Clint is amazing. Like we, we went off about the ice cream man for like a long time. We said we wished we could do ice cream man. We, we pitched a movie where you were the lead. 
You got top billing over Kurt Russell in hypothetical 1989. <laughs> yes, we did. I did coin the name Bryce Dallas. How are you still getting work? That's besides the point. Look, just because nepotism runs in your family doesn't excuse you. Go run from a T-Rex in heels. <laughs> um, and there's this amazing moment of like 30 straight seconds of nonverbal acting from Daryl at Hannah as she like is on a dock. I think it's the dock from the end. Yeah, I think you're right. She steps up onto the ledge and just looks into the water and they cut from the water to her face to like her in a wide as she like undoes the the ties of her dress and drops her shawl and like seriously contemplates diving back in the water yeah and it's amazing acting i just wish that it had the gravitas of like there are stakes like if you jump back into the big ocean or whatever you can't like you're gonna get sucked but like you're never coming right. back. right it should be established to be that like you can't uh you can get like tub wet or pool right. wet but, like, if you jump into a big body of water, you're coming right back home. Right. Exactly. That, hang on. That's a plot of a movie. Gremlins. Aquamarine. Is that another DCOM? No, it's, an, it's another teenage uh, mermaid movie. But that was such a great moment of of acting from her. And then she go, she finds Tom Hanks and is like, yes, I'll marry you. And he's like, great, we'll go get our blood test. And I was like, you're what? Yeah, that's a thing in New York. Or at least it was. I forgot... It's in Guys and Dolls. Yeah, yeah. Like, cu- call back to earlier. I forgot because I was like, what the hell is this? And then I remembered his thing about Marilyn doesn't ask for a blood test. I was like, if that's also a line in Guys and Dolls, I'm pretty <laughs> that's sure. That's probably why Hanks knows it, frankly. Yeah. What is the, is the blood test to prove you're not related? Yep. Like, oh, was that a, was that a problem? It must have been. <laughs> I don't know why, but I also know that Maryland was like a big eloper place for people in Pennsylvania, Jersey, Delaware, New York. Elkton was the yeah, one guys and yeah. dolls was the specifically named. Place. I think Elkton was famously a place that people would go elope. And so there they got into the elevator and Eugene Le- Levy is in the lobby and he runs up the stairs and grabs the fire hose. And as soon as the elevator door opens, he shoots the water again. And it's the same couple from before. I, as the door was opening, I was like, I really hope this is the same couple. And I was so glad that it paid off. It's a really good. I g- wanted gag. a third. Yeah. Yeah, me too. We needed the third. Um, but it was so good. He gets beat up again. We go to the fancy dinner and, with the president at this point. And Eugene Levy is there pretending to be a cater waiter. And he's, <laughs> he looks like he's wearing a proton pack under a jacket, like a, like a tux jacket. Yeah. Cause he, I was like, there's no way the secret service wouldn't tackle him the second he walked out with this stupid thing on his right. back. And then they do like they, they track him down and tackle him and they leave and they drag him out. And then uh, Daryl Hannah's like, hey, Tom Hanks, I'm going to tell you my secret now. We have to leave. And they leave. And I was like, so why are why is it a fancy political dinner at all? Right. Like, honest, like this movie is an hour and 45 minutes, basically. Yeah, it's closer to it could be. But with the (laughs) with the two minutes of. Or yeah, opening no, credits no, no, no. And I know. Seven saying, minutes yeah, of closing yeah. credits. It's the the whole reason that it happens here is so that the Secret Service takes Daryl Hannah away. But you could do this in like any number of a billion ways, like to to do this. Yeah, um, because she finally gets sprayed. Because I was like, uh, oh, I, in my head, I was like, they're never going to spray with water in front of people. That's crazy. Because I was like, we're already like an hour and a half into this movie, and then that's what happens. She gets taken by like the government is really ready to take him right. Away. 
Like, they've been waiting. Which is crazy because they don't believe they exist. Like, the other people in this movie, like, moments later, there's a scene, or a couple minutes later, there's a scene where Eugene Levy, who was previously mocked and ridiculed for believing in this, goes to speak to this one guy who had previously mocked and ridiculed him, and he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, 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 of course, you know what to do, sir. Of course, you have all the ideas. And he's like, why don't you go find a unicorn? And it's like, hey, bud, he found a mermaid. You're looking at it. That's what I was like. He's clearly not crazy. Right. He found the damn mermaid. He was like, hey, mermaids exist. And you guys are like, yeah, idiot. Prove it. And he's like, here's one. And then they're like, why don't you go find a unicorn? Like, what? Crazy. Yeah. Um, so Tom Hanks gets knocked over and doesn't immediately rush to her aid. And I was like, this is a bummer. And then they carry her away and he just stands there. And I was like, oh, is this the Wow. And then, with no explanation, he's also in a water tank. Well, they they think he's a mermaid, too. They're like, you were together. I know, but, like, the way it was shot No, was, it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. Was he's in the back of the crowd, like, slinking away while she's taken oh, away. Oh, no, like, no, they grab him. Stuff. I didn't see them Oh, yeah, the Secret him. Service grabs him. Like, it's four guys, one on each arm, one on each leg, and they, like, hustle him out, too. But it's also... Oh, I missed that. It's also very stupid that they're like, it's been 12 hours, he's he's not doing anything. Like, obviously, he's not a mermaid. And then they dump Daryl Hannah in there like the cow into the raptor pit. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, when you... Like, they transport a shark in a movie? Yeah. Or a whale or whatever. They just, like, dump her in there unceremoniously. It's just Tom Hanks naked in a... In a a big clear tank um and she is understandably upset and like tries to talk to him and when she reaches out to him upset he flinches and splashes her away and it's fuck all the way off and it's just like i get it that you're shocked but also like an hour like i understand this fundamentally changes how you feel about a person i get that i totally understand it i'm not trying to say that he should just be like totally cool that the person he was in love with turned out to be a mermaid that's a bit shocking but he comes off like a dick it's not like hey i gotta figure this out it's like get the fuck away from me sea monster you freak yeah like he might as well have dropped a hard yeah um and so when he gets to his house, they let him go. They let him go, and he goes to his apartment. All the reporters are surrounding him. And they're like, "Did she eat worms? Did you? Did you? Did you bone?" And he's like offended. And I was like, "You don't get to be both offended at these questions and flinch and splash her. You can't be both." Hanks. Also, the best question is the woman from People magazine who goes, "Is she also seeing Burt Reynolds?" Very <laughs> that good was line. Beautiful. And then John Candy shows up, and he's like, "Are you from from Penthouse?" And they're like. No. And he's like, then we're not talking. And they leave. He scoops him away and he's like, I've never been in love. I've been married nine times. I've never felt love like you felt. This is crazy. You love this woman. Who cares if she's a fish? Which like, cool, but also like, eh, it's somewhat of an obstacle I get. And then Tom Hanks is like, you're right. We got to figure this out. And then they do within seconds because Tom Hanks. So Eugene Levy finds out they're going to dissect Daryl Hannah, right. and he's like, whoa, this is not what I signed up for. I was just trying to prove I'm not crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is that scene and we so talked he, about where, like, he has the big confrontation with the doctor about, like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not crazy. It's also a really cool shot, again, like, props to Ron Howard, the DP who came up with this, of, like, they're on a graded walkway, and, and Eugene Levy's on the first floor, and the other guy's elevated, and so it keeps, like, whipping up and down. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, it, it like, really, like cinematic language shows like eugene uh-huh. levy is not in power right now it's great yeah. and so he like goes to the tank where daryl hannah is and like sad talks to her 
And then he goes to the dentist. Yeah, it's little shop of horrors. It's insane that there's a scene in which this character is going to the dentist and the and the climax of and this And that movie. Tom Hanks knows he's right. there. It, it's so stupid. So Tom Hanks finds him at the dentist and they have a great like physical comedy bit where he drags he literally holds his cast arm and just like drags Eugene Levy like he's an ice skater down the hallway. Right. And Eugene Levy stabs himself in the leg with the Novocaine and then later has this really good bit of physical comedy where his leg doesn't work, which I like a lot. Oh, yeah. He's very um, good. He's just in the like he doesn't know what movie he's in is all. Yeah. Um, he doesn't quite get the camp. Um, so he like te- they decide to pretend they're Swedish scientists. Well, because they Eugene Levy. Eugene Levy knows that these Swedish scientists are coming in today. So this is the only plan he's got. Yeah. And, like, obviously John Candy and Tom Hanks don't look Swedish. Right. So the the security guard is like, I'm from Sweden. And he talks in Swedish. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. And then John Candy rattles off something about his dick I have a 12 in inch, Swedish. Hello there. I have a 12-inch penis. He's like, oh, yeah. Didn't you know a lot of porn comes from Sweden? You pick, a, you pick up a few yeah. things. So Swedish porn saved the day in this Disney movie. Yes. And they sneak in, and immediately the music swells as Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah meet up. And I'm like, this music swelling is doing some very heavy lifting here. He was a dick to her 12 hours ago. She ought to be a little miffed about it. And instead, it's just like, I knew you'd come back. I love you. I love you. She just stabs him with one of those, like, spiral seashells. She, like, reaches into her hair, pulls out the, the, the spiral seashell, and just shanks yeah, him real good. Or at least, like, give him the cold shoulder, make him work for it. I do wish John Candy had pulled a Swedish chef. He almost when they does. were talking to the guy. He almost gets into Bork 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 territory. <laughs> it's <laughs> very <laughs> close. When, when he's when he's talking to the other guy and they're talking in English with Swedish accents, it's very Swedish chefy. Oh, you're yeah, it is. Um, so cut to Eugene Levy bursts through the door into the hallway. He's like, "Oh my god!" And then they drag. They say they that are she carrying has a, laser eyes and that he's going to come back with nukes. Yeah, they have to come back with nukes to get her because she hit John Candy and they're carrying a very thin Savelt person yes. wrapped in canvas. Yes. And then they walk out the front door somehow. Yeah. And then we cut to like, they're like about to burst in after the alarms are going off. I'm like, please be John Candy naked in the tank. Please be John I, Candy naked. Thank in the you. Because I wanted it. I wanted naked, him in a blonde least, wig. I wanted him in his underwear at least. Well, no, because Tom Hanks was naked, like covering his yeah, junk yeah, yeah. earlier. Like, I wanted, like, John Candy in a blonde wig covering his junk. Or the other, like, I think Maximum Funny might have been, because, like, where would they have gotten a blonde wig? Would be, like, John Candy in boxer shorts, dress socks, and a tank top. Like, in the tank in his in his underwear-ish clothes. Like, not, not as naked. I don't know. Instead, he's fishing and smoking a cigar, which is fine. But, like, Maximum Funny, he would have been in the tank. Or even if he was just, like, swimming in it, like, having a good old time. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted him, like, just like, bopping around in the tank. Um, I'm glad we both had the same John Candy naked. Yeah, yeah, mostly thought. naked. And so they're in the car driving away, and I was like, we should have gotten her a dark wig and a change of clothes. Like, yeah. we should have had some stuff planned. They also, because... like, think they got away pretty much instantaneously, which is so, so stupid. And then it leads to this, like, thoroughly average car chase. There's, like, two cool moments. One that he does this, like, John Woo doves thing with pigeons. And then another one where yeah. they, like, are, like, kind of zigzagging across multiple streets as traffic crosses. And... The cab, I don't know if you noticed, but the cab that Tom Hanks took to Cape Cod is in this shot like nine times. They just, they I didn't notice that. Every time they cut to a close up on a cab, it's that. But it's just like, 
kind of long and not great. And like Ron Howard is not a good action director. And so it's just like, what are we like? We're just treading water here. And it's just like, I know they're going to get away and it's going to be a big showdown. So can we just cut to that, please? It's like how they got an action director to direct Aladdin. Right. It was so bad. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. I didn't finish. I couldn't finish it. I'm sorry. So you didn't get to the part where you find out that Genie goes to Bone Town? Uh, no, I feel that you learn that in the beginning okay. when Genie is talking to his children, okay. and so uh, you a, a clown car of soldiers yes. comes out of this this truck, and Eugene Levy's like, "Leave me here. I have an idea. I'll distract him." And they spend a good two minutes him apologizing to her, and I was like, "Now's not the time. <laughs> Do not have time for this. Apologize with actions." Yeah. And so he tries. To, is it Tibet? Is it Tibet with the tanks? Yeah, I that think photo so. of yeah, the guy. Yeah. But instead he um, bails he, and like gets knocked down a flight of stairs. <laughs> Dive rolls right into an open staircase. I'm having a wake. <laughs> and then the cabbie from earlier is there like smoking a cigarette and is like, I'm waiting for a fare. And I thought it was like, oh, this cabbie's like trying to help. It's like, no, this is just randomly here for no reason. So a bunch of soldiers flip his cab over, which is insane. Sure. Um, and they get to Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah get to the dock and he's like, you have to go. And she's like, I can never come back. Or no, no. She says, you come with me. And he's like, I'll go see Freddie at Christmas. Like, yeah. yeah, I'll come back at Christmas. And she's like, no, you can't ever come back. Right. And I wanted him to be like, well, then how are you? He, like, yeah. You never established the rules. You can't do that. Because like, why can't he come back at Christmas? Right. Like for a holiday. Like he's supposed to come back for a couple days a right. year. And then, spoiler alert, in the, the terrible, well, probably, we're never going to watch it, but the probably terrible sequel they made, that rule is out the window. Yes. Um, and so she belly flops into the she water. She does a really bad dive. It's awful. I was looking. like, ooh. It looks so painful. Pocahontas, you are not. Um, and then he jumps in the water and he can't swim. And I was like, oh, right. He can't swim. Right. So she gives him like the kiss of life. And then they fight with a bunch of scuba divers and rip their masks off, which is okay. Which it's cool. But the problem is that like by nature of being underwater, it's in slow motion. Right. And it just all looks very stupid. And it's just like all these bubbles going. And it just it's just, again, it's like, this is not your forte. <laughs> You're doing fine directing the other part, but this is not your forte. So do we assume that Tom Hanks is going to turn into a mermaid? I don't know. That's what I'm genuinely curious what your thoughts were. I don't think he's going to sprout a tail. I thought, see, I assumed he, well, not like instantaneously, but I assumed that like in the, the over the course of a year, he would yeah. grow a tail. If he's going to live underwater now. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't make a whole lot of like, sense. Like that's the most, that's the most efficient way to swim. Yeah, it is. But like, honestly, the thing that drives me crazy is like they end this movie at the most interesting part of it. Yeah, I agree. Like, they don't do, like, it's not, the scenes of them falling in love are nice, but also absurd. Like, if this story wasn't, didn't have the magical contrivance of it has to happen in six days, you'd be like, this is ridiculous that you're getting married to a person and choosing to spend the rest of your life with a person that you've known for six days. But it's like, oh, wait, there's a whole mermaid civilization? I want to know about that. Yeah. And then, but there's also, like, the credits start rolling as they swim and they swim through reefs and reefs and reefs, and it's all real, right. and it's so cool. But also, I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist outside the island of Manhattan. Well, no. But I assume that they were just getting to the magic mermaid world. Right, I guess. There's a portal, maybe? Yeah. Um, and again, it's just going to really suck when this movie is going to look better than the Little Mermaid movie. I mean, it already looks better than Aquaman. Yeah. Um, so would you recommend this? Yeah, it's a great movie. 
Yeah, I, I'm more of like a soft recommend, but I did have fun watching this. I don't think it's great by any means, but it's definitely very, very watchable. It's competently made, even being maybe not great. It's a it's a really good movie, I should say. Yeah. I it's you're not gonna be bored. You're not gonna be mad at no, it. No, not like, at all. Everyone gives a shit. Yes, that's exactly true. Like everyone's trying very hard. Eugene Levy doesn't know what movie he's in, and that's a directorial issue, obviously. But like mostly, it's pretty good. Um, the bigger, the bigger, the, the my bigger quibble is just like the internal logic of this movie is insanity. Yeah, it needs a little of a, a tweak, but yeah. I like it. I was so happy to watch something <laughs> well constructed. <laughs> well, you know, we gotta mix in some watchable stuff every once in a while. Um, thank you all so much for listening to the show. Uh, if you haven't rated and reviewed yet, what are you waiting for? Get out there and do it. Rate and review the show. Uh, it takes two seconds. Uh, we have a new one here. This this method is obviously working, so it's the one we're going to go with. Uh, we re- recently <laughs> we recently got another uh, review, a really really nice one. Not that they're all not good, but this one was a real bright spot in our day. It's from Inkboy409, uh, and he <clears throat> says uh, five stars. It's titled "Can't Stop Listening." I discovered dissecting the '80s on a recent road trip to New Orleans. This isn't an interview, but trip's opinion, best city in America, and I can't stop listening. Trip and Andrew are hilarious, and being a Reagan baby, I feel connected to pretty much every subject they bring up. The podcast makes my horrendous DC commute much more enjoyable as I'm making my way through their entire catalog. I look forward to their future podcasts and hope to see them at a future podcast festival. This podcast is for you if you like any 80s. Well, thank you very much, Ink Boy. Uh, glad to help you with the thank you brutal DC commuting, which is often pretty terrible. And uh, glad uh, we were able to help you in the Big Easy. That's probably my favorite city in the country. Um so if you haven't reviewed the show, review the show. It only takes two seconds. Be like Inkboy409. Find more of the show on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Dissect the 80s. We'd love to hear your favorite Tom Hanks yells. Um, if you have a clip, like if you can, if you, there's a YouTube clip of it. Even yeah, better. that's good too. That's good too. We always like hearing from you on there. So anything you want to send our way, we're always uh, interested to hear from listeners. So uh, always happy to chat with the folks who listen to the show. Oh my God. You know what I want to do? I mean, it, we would always have Thanksgiving with our family. But if we ever do, like, not that, I want to make everyone show up as a Tom Hanks character <laughs> in some way. Well, maybe one of these years on Patreon, we'll do, like, a live watch-along commentary track. Yeah. Um, thank you all so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate that. Find out more at dissectingthe80s.com and uh, on the social media channels I just mentioned. We will be back in December. On Dece- We're a little early, so we'll be back December 2nd with a movie that I cannot wait to record an episode about. Uh, super duper triple excited for this one. Uh, Tango and Cash, which is also celebrating an anniversary, either 30 or 35. We'll, I'll tell you on that episode. Yeah, convince people I was a good actor again. <laughs> Stallone and Kurt Russell in the same movie. Dreams really do come true, folks. Um, thank you so much for listening to the show. I've been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until December 2nd. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum sum of this production. Ow.